Father, we want to thank you again uh, for your presence today. We want to thank you uh, for your loving kindness and for walking us through life, life's issues with our eyes, eyes stayed on Christ, who is the anchor of our soul. We thank you, Jesus, for the love that you have shown us. We thank you, Lord God, how you have uh, remained steadfast when we ourselves begin to shake our own ground. But yet, you remain steadfast and loving and kind and compassionate towards us. Lord God, when we look at our life, we understand that we don't deserve a thing that we have because it's due to your mercy. <laughs> it is due to your love. It's due to your grace. Help us to walk worthy of the calling for which you have called us. And we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we begin a series walking through the book of Philippians. And in Philippi, lots of things were going on. But Paul, he, uh, we believe he is sitting in a Roman prison thinking about uh, the believers outside of prison. Philippi, it was a region. It was in a region called Macedonia. And as a matter of fact, Macedonia is also where we can find Thessalonica. Remember Paul's letters to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians? Well, that's also part of that region of Macedonia. And that region of Macedonia is where uh, the Spirit of God called Paul to evangelize with the gospel. And let's look at Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 6. Acts 16, beginning in verse 6. And it says here, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Again, when you're thinking about what is the will of God, doesn't it make sense that if you have the gospel, that you're going to speak the gospel everywhere that you can? Right? Doesn't that make sense? But here it says that the Holy Spirit forbade uh, Paul to speak the gospel in Asia, Asia Minor. He couldn't do it. The Holy Spirit said, no, you're not going to do it there. Verse 7. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to, into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Here it is again. It makes sense. You have the gospel. Let me preach the gospel everywhere. But the Spirit of God said, uh-uh. No, you're not. Verse 8. 
So, uh, verse 8, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia. What's Macedonia? That's where we find Thessalonica, and that's where we find Philippi. So, a man of Macedonia in this vision appeared to Paul, and he was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So, uh, in this vision, the Spirit of God was, uh, was uh, telling Paul that you need to go to Macedonia. Verse 10, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately uh, we sought... Listen to the we, the person that's writing this, uh, this particular book. We sought to go on into Macedonia because you know, the, the Spirit of God had prevented them uh, from uh, speaking the word in Asia. Can't do it there, but here you can do it. And finally here at the end of verse 10, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Get it? I was uh, sharing with people this past weekend about limitations. And here, uh, God had limited where they would speak the gospel. You can't do it here. You can't do it there. You see, for some folks, uh, when we perceive a a limitation, that what we want to do is we want to break the door down. Oh, ain't nothing going to stop me from preaching the gospel there in Asia Minor. Nothing is going to stop me. Well, will death prevent you from speaking the word there? You see, that could have cost Paul his life had he decided that I'm going to push into the door of Asia anyway, even though it seems like the Spirit is telling me that He's calling me, God is calling me to preach everywhere. But at this time, the Spirit of God was saying, you can't preach in Asia. So in other words, what I'm saying is that when God places limitations in your life, learn to respect them. Learn to go around those limitations and do what God is calling you to do. How do you know what God is calling you to do? But you must be in relationship with Him to know what God will is and what He's speaking into your life. So if you have the limitation, don't go there. Go to the place where God is calling you. Amen? So, how is it possible for Paul to minister so passionately to the Philippians how uh, is it that God, he, he, he called Paul to this, but yet he ends up in prison anyway for sharing the gospel? Oh, well, you can't go to Asia Minor, but you can go to, to, to uh, Macedonia. But then you still end up in jail. Maybe he should have went to Asia Minor. See, people who are not spiritually minded see this as proof that there is no power or credence to Jesus Christ or the gospel message. But because of resistance just like this, get it, we as believers, we minister with more conviction. We minister with more passion. Even though you may be imprisoned, even though you may be persecuted, even though your friends may talk about you, 
Uh, even though you may be maligned for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, God manages to use you anyway. So, this brings us to an interesting point of connection in intimacy within the body of Christ. And this is where I'm going. That in the body of Christ, we unite and love one another, especially as we face trials and struggles. Huh. Within the body of Christ, we unite, especially as we face trials and struggles. This is one idea we clearly see as we proceed in this letter to the Philippians. We're going to see it over and over again. Uh, examples of how to live, how to love one another. Yes, in the book of Philippians. It's very interesting. In the Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, He's calling them slaves, doulos, servants of Jesus. They are slaves of Jesus Christ, and they can't help it. But in John 17, when we speak of uniting believers in the faith, Jesus had already spoken about this idea of unification within the body of Christ. So John chapter 17 Verse 22. This is what Jesus is speaking in his high priestly prayer. And he says this. The glory, he's talking to God the Father. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be, what? One, even as we are. Okay. So Jesus says that, uh, that uh, they're going to have a certain glory that will uh, allow them to unite one another with one another within the body of Christ. Then he says in verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly, what? One. Right? And you know uh, the law of repetition within Bible study, right? Anytime you see something that's repeated over and over again, that's something that you need to pay attention to because God is trying to tell us something. So if Jesus says one once, and then Jesus says one twice, and then Jesus says one thrice, that tells us we in the body of Christ should be what? One. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So our unity within the body of Christ is all about displaying the love of God. Right? So when we are united together, when we are harmonized under the blood of Jesus Christ, the world looks at us and says, what about Jesus? That God the Father has sent Jesus. Let me say that one more time. Maybe you missed it, right? When we are united as brothers 
and sisters in the faith, the world looks at us and begins to understand something about Jesus. Did you all hear what I said? When we are united within the body of Christ, the world looks at us and it makes a statement about Jesus. What do you think it says when we're fighting? What does the world say about Jesus when we are fighting? Oh, didn't I tell you? Oh, didn't I tell you about that church stuff? Uh, Jesus, he's, he's, he's nothing. Because if he were real, uh, then they would be unified. Haven't you always wanted to unite with other believers with a sense of connection, love, and care without all the junk getting in the way? I want to love you, I want to care for you, but you know what? Hold on, no baggage. Right? So this is who we should be, uh, united and loving one another in the body of Christ. And if this is not who we are, then we need to learn from God's Word to be set free. So, we begin our journey today by working through our disposition and reason for prayer. At the beginning of here, Philippians chapter 1. Praying that the Holy Spirit would work powerfully through us today. Our disposition for prayer. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 3. Paul says this to the Philippians. I thank my God in all remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. When we think of our brothers and sisters in the faith, we should thank God for them. Amen? When we think of our brothers and sisters who are on the front line for the gospel, we should thank God for them. Because I want you to know, uh, brothers and sisters, for those who lead within the body of Christ, it's not always easy. Amen? But not just for those who lead, but we need to thank God for the person who's sitting next to us who loves Jesus Christ. Amen? That person who sits sits next to us, is also worthy of thanking God for. Because you don't know that they may be praying for you. You don't know that they may be lifting you up when you come to church and you're struggling. You don't know who's doing it. You say, well, I just hope that uh, the pastor prays for me. Well, uh, well, thank God that I can do that. But what if I don't? That person sitting next to you might be praying for you in the name of Jesus Christ that the power of the Holy Spirit would come into your situation and turn your situation around. So therefore, you need to, we need to thank God for them. Paul thanks God for the Philippians 
when he remembers them. And this is not new for Paul. This is not anything new. But it is a heartfelt sentiment that he expresses for believers who are part of this gospel team. In other places like Romans chapter 1, verse 8, Paul gives thanks for the Romans there. In Philemon chapter 1, there's only one chapter, verse 4, uh, he gives thanks there for Philemon. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, he gives thanks uh, for, for Timothy when he thinks of, remembers Timothy and his tears. So there's plenty to give thanks for. Remember Paul also says, in everything give thanks for this is what the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. But no, the Lord is also preeminent in Paul's thinking as he has referred to Jesus three times in verses 1 through 3, uh, Philippians 1. Here, as he's thinking about Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, right? Uh, he's not trying to be theologically correct, but uh, to demonstrate a, a deep reliance upon Jesus who bought him out, brought him out of slavery of sin and into God's loving embrace. This is significant for Paul, especially now, and this is why I bring it up. Uh, the, the, the fact that he brings up Jesus Christ uh, so many times in the first three verses, this is significant. Why? Because he is pinning this epistle while he's sitting in jail. Sitting in jail, he writes this letter to the Philippians to encourage them. I don't know about you. I'm not sure if I could write something like this while I'm sitting up in jail. Well, hopefully I wouldn't be in jail to start with. Amen? Or neither you. Amen? So don't, don't go to jail, y'all. Uh, but if you happen to go there for the gospel, and that's a good reason to be in jail. Amen? So if you go in, uh, into jail because of the gospel, it's a good reason to be there. Hopefully you'd be like Paul and encourage them. But listen to this. Especially when you think about Paul, uh, the possibility that he could be lonely, he could be distressful, and, uh, because it could be a, a daunting place in prison. Listen to these uh, statistics about imprisonment in the United States. And I quote, Even a brief stint behind bars can be dangerous. A quarter of jail suicides occur within three days of admission. And 40% of all deaths occur within the first week. Incarceration, regardless of length, can trigger financial collapse, bringing job loss, eviction, homelessness, failure to meet financial obligations, disrupted medical care, and the end to benefits such as food stamps, I'm not sure why you would need food stamps in jail anyway, uh, unless it's for your family who's out of jail, and Medicaid, uh, uh, personal resources are depleted, debts add up, and job opportunities fall away, end quote. So if you find yourself in prison with all this stuff uh, just being piled on you, it looks very, can look very dark, very daunting for you. 
So why is Paul thankful for the believers in all of his prayers when he thinks of them? Why? Because it says there in verse four, uh, verse 5, uh, because of your partnership in the gospel. That's why. Uh, always in every prayer of mine, he says in verse 4, uh, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is glad. He's, even though he's sitting in prison, he understands that the gospel, that the kingdom proclamation is going on outside of the jail. Right? So what would happen to us if something happened to me? If something happened to me, what would happen to us in the gospel? I fear that I would have not done my job if you stopped going. That if you stop pressing on in the name of Jesus Christ, I fear uh, that I have not done what God has called me to do. But because of their partnership in the gospel, this ministry relationship that has developed with them, Paul is encouraged, so therefore he can encourage them. And this indicates a loyal and faithful relationship built on something greater than a, a personal desire. Some people are loyal to their families. Some are loyal to their jobs. Uh, some are, are loyal through uh, suffering and hurt. This partnership of the Gospel that this, brothers and sisters, is a big deal. As they have stuck with him through some tough times. Especially now that he's sitting up in jail. But in our passage here, there in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel, uh, it just so happens that that word happens to be koinonia, which also means fellowship or participation. Or partners. Right? Uh, but here they decided to translate it as uh, partnership. But the word is, the root word is koinonia, that we think of uh, a fellowship. So, so Paul is understanding that there is a fellowship that's going on, but you are, uh, we have this fellowship in the gospel, this partnership within the gospel. Uh, but this uh, Christian fellowship or partnership that we have is not just some cold association of people sharing some type of beliefs or activities together. Right? Christian fellowship is marked by intimate relationships moving beyond getting together one day a week because our faith demands it. It's more than coming together on Sunday. Our fellowship, our intimacy, our, our partnership is more than seeing you Sunday morning. Paul is thankful for the fellowship because of what the gospel has birth in the community and because of them sharing the work of the gospel ministry through faithfulness, prayers, visitations, and resources. This is a gospel community. So even with all that going on, the Lord wants to grow us as believers. If we are willing to accept His work in us. So the future outlook for believers, for us, it's good. Philippians 1, verse 6. Paul says, 
And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now Paul, who's in prison, has an upbeat outlook for the believers. Uh, therefore, no less an upbeat, uh, upbeat outlook for us as well. You and me. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it as this way. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now we have heard the saying, in fact, you may have said it yourself, oh, God is not done with me yet. Amen? Why do we say this? Why do we say, oh, God is not done with me yet? Because we realize our faults, right? And we realize that sometimes we do fall short. Because as strong and faithful as we may be, there remains deep flaws in us that are obvious to us. And if they're not obvious to you, you just ask somebody because somebody else will tell you in a second what your flaws are. And that goes for me as well. You see, all of us have a dark side. Everyone in here has a dark side. Gary McIntosh describes the dark side this way. It is the inner urges, compulsions, and dysfunctions of our personality that often goes unexamined or remain unknown to us until we experience an emotional explosion. In other words, Sometimes you really don't know how dark your dark side is until you go off. When you go off, then you realize, man, why did I go off like that? Why did I say what I say? For some people, uh, why did you end up cursing like that? Why did you end up doing what you're doing? Because it is your dark side working in you. So for that dark side, Jesus says he wants to deal with it. He wants to deal with our dark side. What's your dark side? What's your dark side? If you don't know what your dark side is, ask someone. As a matter of fact, ask someone today when you greet each other as we leave this place today. Say, praise the Lord, I'm glad to see you in the house of the Lord today. Uh, what's my dark side? But this good and necessary work which comes from the Lord, it is continuous. This is why the passage says, he who began a good work in you is going to stop it? No, that he's going to complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. The work is ongoing and the trials of your life bears it out. <laughs> every difficulty, every struggle every hurt, every success, they all converge together to mature us into uh, to being the disciples that Christ wants us to become. Now sure, you can easily cry out, why me? You can say, I've done everything that I thought to do. I've been good. I've been this. I've been that. I've gone to church. I volunteered to help the old lady walk across the street. 
I've given blood. Right here at the church, we even give blood. Amen. All for the glory of God. Take my blood, y'all. We've done all that, but why am I going through this now? Why? Because of your dark side. There's nothing that determines who you really are until you are squeezed and pressured to the point of needing to make a decision whether you make it or don't make it and how you respond to it. You're squeezed in the great press of life. It squeezes. Jesus said, you said you are highly favored of the Lord. Okay, let's put your life in the great press today. And then life squeezes you. Oh, ouch, Lord. Yes, I'm highly and blessed and highly favored of the Lord. And then it's pulled again. Ouch, oh, Lord, I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. And then it squeezes you again. Oh, Lord, I don't think I'm blessed. I think I'm highly favored. And then it squeezes you again. I don't think I'm blessed, and I don't think I'm highly favored. Because if this was the case, then I would have everything that I would need right now. That you would have rescued me out of the winepress of despair. But he who has begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. So God is truly not done with you yet. God is truly not done with me yet. So Paul, he understood the end game for all of us. And therefore he encouraged the Philippians, and by implication us, because God who has begun that good work, He will not stop it until it's done. God is not done with you. And if God is not done with you, why are you resisting His advances? I'm not saying be a punching bag. It's not that we listen for a voice to come from heaven. God said, you shall not do that. You shall not go that. But go there. But God might be talking through your friend. But God might be talking through your parents. God may be talking to or through the person at the grocery store. I tell you, I was telling you about limitations earlier. I tell you, God has been speaking to me like something for the last two weeks about limitations. And it's not that, you know, he was screaming down from heaven. But all of a sudden, people will start talking, you know, telling me about limitations. I'm like, is, is that God talking to me? And then I finally realized, I'm like, wait a minute, law of repetition, right? It's happening over and over again. People that don't know each other, I'm in different places, they talk about the same thing. And every time I come around, people want to talk about limitations. I'm like, okay, so what you saying, God? So, so as much as you may not like it, God grows you through circumstances and people. God will grow you through circumstances and people. You may not like it, but God will grow you through circumstances and 
Okay, we're getting there. You may not like it, but God grows us through circumstances and thank you. So you look at that person that gets on your nerves sometimes. You look at that person that you're always fighting with, that you're always arguing with. What is God trying to tell you? Let's move on. So it should be normal for believers to have meaningful fellowship. Philippians 1.7 It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, uh, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. It's now laid out plainly about this fellowship or partnership uh, that should exist between all believers. Here Paul says, uh, he talks about partner, uh, partakers with me of grace. Remember, grace is God's unmerited favor. To all who are willing to acknowledge their sinful condition and run to Jesus in response uh, to a desire to be rescued out of this sheer hopelessness. The idea of partaking with elicits the idea again of partnership and uh, fellowship or kononia because this is of that same word. We're familiar with kononia. Uh, and, and here the word uh, partakers with, it is soon uh, kononia. But then he quickly uh, branches off to include two areas of partaking. One is uh, partaking of the grace in his imprisonment. And two, the grace in defense and confirmation of the gospel. And we see the multifaceted uh, aspect of the gospel at work in a disciple's life in fellowship and in proclamation. There should never be a neglect of one or the other. There should be fellowship and there should be proclamation. There should be proclamation and there should be fellowship. For some of us, we just want to go, come to church and have a good time. Some folks want to just come so they can see so-and-so and then go home. I'm glad to see you this week. I feel better. Others, on the other hand, all they want to do is, is talk about the gospel. No, I'm going to leave. I know people just like this. I don't want to be in church. I just want to go out here and tell everybody about Jesus Christ, right? Uh, should it be uh, the fellowship or should it be the proclamation of the gospel, right? It should be both of these. You see, in either case, you have a tendency to neglect what God has placed in you the moment that you were saved, the giftings that God has given you. Both of these coming together for us to be and to walk and to work in the gifting that God has called us. So do you have deep Christian affections towards other believers? Verse 8, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Again, he's getting to the heart of the matter, and having these deep affections towards one another in the body of Christ, uh, the problem for us is that it's dangerous and costly. It's dangerous because you never know uh, how things will end up. It's costly because uh, you will have to make sacrifices. Now, this is like we experience in the world, but in the world we're willing to keep going out there, but in the church, all of a sudden we push ourselves away. 
But Paul, he speaks of a very intimate and expressive uh, affection within the body of Christ. I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? You see, when Paul says that, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all, he says, for I yearn uh, for you all with, listen to this, with the bowels, bowels, B-O-W-E-L-S, bowels uh, of Christ Jesus. In other words, he, he's saying that the affection that he has, it comes from up all up in his inner organs. That's what he's talking about. That, the, uh, that's how they describe uh, the, the deepness of relationship uh, in terms of the bowels. You're like, what? In Acts chapter 1, verse 18, look at this. This is the same word being used in this passage, Acts 1, 18. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, talking about Judas Iscariot, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his affections gushed out. All his bowels gushed out. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul spoke to uh, the Corinthian believers whose hearts were limited only by a possible refusal to have deep affections. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 12, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own bowels, your own affections. What other way can Scripture drive this home to us? Now, I admit it's a challenge. We talk about affections closeness and deepness within the body of Christ towards one another uh, because in our society we want privacy. No, ain't nobody coming to my house. No, you leave me be on my job. No, let me just go to school and do what I'm supposed to do and go home. Right? We want privacy. We don't want nobody to know our business. But we are willing to allow corporations to view our data to determine when we shop how we shop, what we buy, and even who we buy it for. And then we spend all of our time on social media, letting everybody know our business. Uh, we put it all out there, and then we come to church. I don't want to talk to nobody. But yet, in social media, everybody knows our business. And if you know me, I've been warning about this for years. I've been talking about this for years, I've been droning on and on, telling people don't put your business out there because once you put your business out there, it's out there forever. It's out there forever. So uh, when you finally uh, find that job that you want, and they say, well, we need to check your social media presence, they're going to check everything. They're going straight. They're going to check everything, every corner. They're going to go on the dark web, and they're going to find every bit of dirt about you as possible. They're going to say, I don't know why they end up checking this. Well, you should ask yourself, I don't know why I shared my business out there to begin with. So in the body of Christ, we need to have that, a, a better level of intimacy within, uh, among ourselves. And even Paul, remember, he takes a 180-degree turn because at one time he was a uh, religious, pharisaical uh, 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 monster because all he wanted to do was kill Christians. But 
Now he wanted to love Christians. He now wants intimacy of relationship with these same people he once thought were his enemies. Are the people in the body of Christ your enemy? And the answer is no. So therefore, our disposition uh, for prayer should be that of joy, should be that of thanksgiving. Now, uh, finally, our our reason for prayer, uh, beginning in verse 9, Philippians 1. And, Paul says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again, we should be known for our love. One of our prayers should be that, we, that our love would increase towards one another. You know, when we are saved, God, He gives us the capacity to love each other a little bit better, a little bit deeper. Amen? Problem is, we allow the, we allow the world or how we used to live to dictate how we love one another within the body of Christ. And God says, no, that should not be the case, that we need to learn to love each other deeply. How do you know when you've reached that point? One, if you have true concern for one another in the body of Christ. If you're really concerned about people that you see on a regular basis, it indicates that the love of God is at work in your life. Another area is the presence uh, that shows the presence of God's love is your willingness to forgive. Christ forgave us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those, right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Now some people within the Christian faith insist love is is the greatest thing to the detriment of all other matters. But we need also discernment and knowledge in the body of Christ. So our disposition for prayer can greatly influence the reasons for our prayers because they are connected and they connect us together. In other words, when our prayers are full of thankfulness to God and thankfulness for the people God uh, sends to us and around us, it frees us to focus and to move beyond the basics in the body of Christ. As my mother used to say, if it ain't one thing, it's another. You see, there's always a series of emergencies that's happening in our life, preventing us from these deepening relationships and deepening prayer. Everything is an emergency, and we never seem to get past this, never seem to get past that. If I never had a time, I never had a chance to pray, I never had a chance to do this, I never had a chance to really develop deep relationships, what in the world are you doing? Emergencies will consume your thoughts and your prayers if we are not watchful. Now, face it, no one can control true emergencies. But we certainly can control the content and the nature of our prayers, even with emergencies raging in the background. So we have begun Philippians talking about our disposition and reason for prayer. all under the umbrella to understand that we must stick together and we must unify within the body of Christ. Folks, 
It's time to get real. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the heat of the hour, the warmth of the Holy Spirit. We thank you 